This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Thanks for choosing the Hope Book Club podcast with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore from the Centre for Public Christianity. In episode 27, we have books about fierce women. We start with Rodham, a novel by Curtis Sittenfeld. It's a fictional reimagining of the life of Hillary Clinton. It depicts what her life might have looked like if she hadn't eventually accepted the repeated proposals of Bill Clinton. Three Women by Lisa Tadeo is a journalistic exploration of the intimate sex lives of three very different women involved in atypical sexual behaviour. And I've been reading Phosphorescence on awe, wonder and things that sustain you when the world goes dark by Julia Baird. It's part memoir, part self-help, a mix of science, faith and philosophy considering how we can better ride the waves when life gets stormy. That is all coming up in episode 27 of The Hope Book Club. Let's kick things off with Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. The first time I saw him, I thought he looked like a lion. He was six foot two, though I knew then only that he was tall. And in fact, his height seemed even greater because he was big tall, not skinny tall. He had broad shoulders and a large head, and his hair was several inches longer than it would be later, which drew attention to its coppery color. His beard was the same shade. I suppose I thought he looked like a handsome lion. But even from a distance, he seemed full of himself in a way that cancelled out his handsomeness. He seemed like a person who took up more than his share of oxygen. This sighting took place in Yale Law School's student lounge in the fall of 1970, my second year of law school and his first. I was with my friend Nick and Bill was speaking in his loud, husky, southern-accented voice to a group of five or six other students. With great enthusiasm, he declared, And not only that, we grow the biggest watermelons in the world. Nick and I looked at each other and began laughing. Who is that? I whispered. Bill Clinton, Nick whispered back. He's from Arkansas, and that's all he ever talks about. The next thing Nick told me was actually at Yale Law School, less notable than being from Arkansas. He was a Rhodes Scholar. And that was from Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. Natasha Moore joins me now from the Centre for Public Christianity. G'day, Natasha. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, doing well. This one is a fictional reimagining of the life of Hillary Clinton. It explores what might have happened if Hillary hadn't accepted Bill's proposal and had instead followed her own path. It's a fictional story, but it's woven around historical events. It explores the compromises involved in political life, the loneliness of life at the top, and the challenges involved in being an ambitious woman. You'd relate to that, wouldn't you, Natasha? You're an ambitious woman. (laughs) Am I? I think I'm becoming one. (laughs) Was it strange to read a fictional novel about a real person? Yeah, really weird, really weird. I mean, I mean, it's on a par with things like, you know how when you watch The Crown and you're like, does she watch this? Is it Mm. accurate? Does she? And there are scenes in this that you're like, okay, Let's keep in mind that this is a real person and this is very intimate details of their lives that are imagined. And, of course, I don't know, like, everything about Hillary Clinton, um, you know, in terms of her uh, career and her life up to when she met Bill and that kind of thing. So all of that I'm, I'm a bit like, oh, how much of this does she make up 
and how much is based on real events. So I'm not so good at judging, but that was that didn't matter. Do you think that she got her personality right? Because I mean, I know you don't know if every event was true, but did the personality ring true? I I find it hard for me to say, but I certainly believed in the personality of the person described in the book. She rang true for me. Um, she was sympathetic. Um, it squared with my impressions of Hillary, but of course, like those are quite superficial and from a distance. Um, and this felt way more like, okay, well, here's a person I know within the bounds of fiction um, and a person I care about because I'm hearing her inner experience. So it certainly didn't kind of cut across my impression. Maybe if maybe if people have strong opinions about Hillary Clinton, then it will challenge or cut across that for them. But I, I bought it. I, I believed her. That's cool. I mean, was it hard to sort fact from fiction? Did you find yourself doing a lot of Googling as you read it? Actually, less so than with The Crown. Okay. <laughs> I Googled a lot during The Crown. I Googled a few things. Um, you know, partly I looked up because, you know, you kind of described some things, including Bill Clinton's appearance and stuff. So I kind of found myself Googling pictures of them when they were young, when they started dating, because I kind of wanted that picture in my head and wanted to see how it compared. And I did look at kind of when she became a senator and that kind of stuff, the trajectory of her career uh, in the, the real world rather than the imagined world. But mostly I was like, oh, I don't care. I care about this narrative. I care about this fictional person. And so I kind of don't mind what's real and what's oh, not. How interesting. Um, how does the book depict the relationship between Bill and Hillary? Mm, um, it depicts it as very intense you know, these two are obviously kind of meant for each other. Um, I think you definitely feel the the pull and the power of that relationship, um, but also the compromises that she would have to make, particularly because of his infidelities and the unlikeliness of him ever being faithful to her. Um, and that kind of, you know, without giving spoilers, that kind of plays a large role in her walking away instead of marrying the man who she kind of believes to be. She doesn't use the word soulmate, but that kind of um, vibe. So you feel with her, particularly in the first stages of the relationship, you're like, obviously you'll marry this man. Why would you not marry this man? Like, <laughs> I could, how, how will Curtis Sittenfeld, how will the author get her out of this? Um, but it does unfold in a way that is convincing and that you kind of feel the wrench of it and also feel the logic of it. So there must be, in a way, almost like this sense of loss because we all know the things that happened in her real life and then mm. trying to reconcile the different choices with what really happened. Is that quite emotional or did you kind of disconnect the two? Well, it's sort of liberating in a way, right, um, because, well, we have the reality. We know mm. what happened and what didn't happen. Um, and, of course, there's a loss for Hillary. It feels weird talking about a real person, but also I feel like I know her now from the novel. I yeah. That's not a real person. Like, you know, the fact that she didn't become president in 2016. So, you know, of course, the big question of the novel, like picking up the novel as a reader, you're like, okay, well, here's the counterfactual. Either she does or she still doesn't. Like, you know, what happens there? Yeah, um, I so want you to spoil it for me, but you can't. I know, I'm not going to spoil it. Because I was, I was a bit sceptical. I loved Curtis Sittenfeld wrote 
uh, a book called American Wife, which is actually loosely based on Laura Bush. Um, oh, wow. Uh, on her becoming kind of first lady and but also her early life and as a teenager and who she marries and doesn't marry and stuff. Um, and I just love that novel. So I, I had hopes for this, but I was also like, oh, It'll either be she will or she won't and how much originality can you bring to that trajectory? But there was a lot of originality. I found it very satisfying. There was a point, you know, I was kind of interested for the first half. I was like, oh, I care about her and her choices and her career and how that plays out. But then there was a point where I was like, oh, this just got really wild. Like, <laughs> it's okay. very interesting and also really satisfying. All right. So without spoilers, what would you say the book is really about? Oh, it's kind of a hard one Um, because I want to say something like, oh, it's about women's choices and it's about trade-offs in life and everything's a trade-off. But also it just kind of feels like an exorcism almost. Like it's partly about competence, I think, um, and how women can be super competent and yet they can be judged by such different and such higher standards than the men around them. So the way that that plays out, the way that the kind of Me Too and the misogyny um, of a lot of the response to her and to her presidential run and stuff, um, a lot of the way that that plays out is really, I think, well depicted and kind of without being sort of revenge fantasy um, does feel like kind of closure and kind of satisfying and and also disturbing in the way that it's like, oh, look, even when things play out very differently, there's still some some undercurrents there that are, that would be there regardless of who she married, who she was running against, all that kind of thing. Okay. So um, what did you enjoy about this and, and who would you recommend it for? Uh, I enjoyed the depiction of Donald Trump, I've got to say. <laughs> Um, it's not about Donald Trump, I promise. But, you know, there's a point where he shows up for the first time in like a cameo and you're just like, wow, she nailed that (laughs) depiction. (laughs) Right. I think if you're a Donald Trump fan, it's probably not for you. Everyone else, it's for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that definitely sounds interesting, Natasha. Our next book is Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. This is the true story of the sex lives of three different women who are all engaged in sexual behaviours that could be perceived as, I guess, non-conventional by mainstream society. Lena's a married homemaker and mum whose marriage has lost its passion and who embarks on an all-consuming affair. Maggie is a 17-year-old high school student engaged in a clandestine relationship with her English teacher and Sloane, a restaurant owner whose husband likes to watch her sleep with other women. Three Women is a journalistic exploration of the sex lives of three very different women. Natasha, why did you read this one? Why did I read it? Um, My colleague Justine Toe lent it to me. She recommended and I think a few people had been reading it and had said interesting things about it. Actually, Justine wrote an article about it, which I read, and I was like, oh, this sounds really intense and I want to know how this plays out. And I did not regret it. It is remarkable. Okay. Well, what do you think the author's intentions were with the book? Well, she kind of says what they are. Um, Really, she, because she starts off the book talking about her mother and the things that her mother didn't talk about and, you know, in terms of desire and her relationships to men. um, And she, you know, she spent like eight years 
following and talking to these women and interviewing the people around them and trying to kind of get inside their lives, including and particularly their love lives. Um, And then what she writes is really, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, a labor of love and kind of compassion and understanding. She really wants to know what's going on for them, what motivates them, what is it like to live their lives from the inside. Um, And she goes real deep on that. It's not kind of like, oh, Lena is dissatisfied in her marriage. It's about really the like particularities of what made her, you know, who she is and why her desires tick the way that they do and how she feels at all these very specific moments. And what I found astonishing actually about the book is that you just can't believe it's nonfiction because it's so intimate. It's so like what's going on in your head. But these are real people. She can't possibly, no matter how much she talks to them, really know how they look at things. But you you believe that she does. And I think I think that's controversial, but really interesting. One of the, I guess, most common criticisms I read, because I read a lot of reviews about this, was <laughs> that people said it was promoted as a book about female sexual desire, but that they felt it was actually more about female sexual trauma. And I saw that comment a lot, or various oh, forms of that. What do you think it's actually about or what is it actually showing because there seemed to be a little bit of disconnect between some readers as to what they're expecting and to what they got Mm. I mean it does unfold eventually as these women do have trauma in their lives I, I wonder if the author would argue that that's not some exception that many many women um are shaped by trauma and have experienced trauma um and even if they haven't you know, there are a lot of warping influences on our desires in our lives, you know, even if you think about kind of objectification and body image pressures in society um, and like the kind of Hollywood, you know, demands place, this, this is what it takes to have a satisfying life, this is what it takes to have a satisfying relationship. So I think that's not sort of an incidental thing to most women's lives and loves and marriages, but also... I think it is fundamentally about need and satisfaction, kind of what is satisfying in life and what isn't. What do we think is going to satisfy us? Um, And when we get it, does it? And sort of the dynamics of that, the dynamics of power in relationships, you know, there's this, like, it's, it's quite devastating in a lot of ways. There's so much that's sad about these women's lives and the things they experience, even in their happiness. So, you know, Lena, the housewife who... Um, has this affair, it becomes really apparent that the competitive element to a relationship, you know, today writes about, you know, the frantic need to be the one who will hurt less than the other, that even in this relationship that's supposed to be intimate and loving, that there's always a kind of, am I going to get hurt? Do I need to protect myself? How do I kind of get one up on him to make sure that I'm not the one who's needy and anxious that he kind of wants me. And so those kinds of dynamics that, I don't know, you just don't really talk about or uh, written about with the sort of frankness and intensity and tenderness as well, I think. So, um, so I mean, can... given that she follows them for eight years and these relationships, I imagine, must change a fair bit in that time, how do these women emerge from these really quite complex relationships by the end of the book? Are those relationships, you know, intact or have they really fundamentally changed? Well, the book 
is quite intricately structured in terms of going back and forth in time. I don't know that I totally have a handle on, you know, how the writer's relationship with them changed over the eight years and how the, how that, because of the way that she presents it. And that, of course, it's quite a different thing. Um, so, you know, with Maggie, for example, who was a 17-year-old having this relationship with her teacher, but then as a 23-year-old decides to report it um, when he wins um, an award for um, the state's teacher of the year. And she's like, I'm sorry, this kind of destroyed my life. Um, and so she... Uh, goes to the police uh, and then there's a court case and all that and you know that from the beginning so you're going back and forth and going back to the genesis of the relationship and what that did to her and how that has affected her since I think as as it goes back and forth uh, you go down a layer each time you can understand why they are the way that they are why they struggle with what they struggle with um what's satisfying to them and what isn't like one of the things she really wants to do is to be like this is how people feel these are people's lives and a lot of people would judge them for their choices um and fair enough a lot of them are probably not good choices but actually there's so much complexity to their experience let's understand them as people and you can actually relate to them as people even if you disagree with the choices they've made Mm. Um, actually there's so many layers to that and that's true for everybody and for all of their experiences right so so I think that complexity in itself is doing important work of humanizing people who are different and who make different choices from us Okay, that's interesting because I again I read a lot of controversy and criticism of that relationship of the girl who the seventeen year old in a sexual relationship with her English teacher that people felt that was portrayed as you know a steamy fiery relationship rather than as oh a kind of a, oh I don't think so at all I mean it is uh, like as in that's how it is for Maggie at the time mm. but there's no sense in which I think Tadeo wants to be like oh maybe this was a good relationship like she like the fact that it is very steamy and. Um, the way that he kind of executes that, like kind of draws her in and uses references from Twilight, you know, her favourite books to kind of cast their relationship and the way that he poisons future relationships for her. There is no question, I don't think, that he is disapproved of, you know. Yeah, that he's been manipulative. He is at no point presented as like, you know, this being an okay thing that he did. Okay. Why do you think this is worth a read then? I think it's worth a read purely because uh, she is an amazing writer. I thought her prose is some of the best prose I've ever read. I was just constantly blown away by it. I kept like taking photos of um, paragraphs and like sending them to people because I was like, this, this sentence is amazing. Um, so <laughs> if, if you care about prose, okay. I would read it purely for that. Is the explicitness of it confronting? Yes. Yes, it is. Let's be clear about that. I think it might be the most sexually explicit book I've ever read that might be true um so it's very intense and I think you want to be prepared for that or you might want to skip it as a result but otherwise I guess just be braced for that if it's not really your thing but that in itself was kind of in terms of the honesty like how how deep it goes into the soul and um our experiences of life I don't think it's gratuitous in that sense Um, I think it does serve a purpose and she's really trying to do something to talk about things that we don't talk about very much in ways that we don't talk about them. So yeah, I've, I've found it really confronting, but also eye-opening and sad, but 
useful. Like I've thought about it a lot since I read it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Because we're focusing on women this week, Natasha. I wanted Ooh. to ask you if it's possible at all that you could nominate your top three favorite female authors. <laughs> I know it's a big ask. <laughs> um, look, here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> um, I can I can name three. I wouldn't want to say like here's my absolute top three. Mm. Do we want to go one each? At a time, are we? Okay, yep, we can do that. Well, I'll start with what I would put as my number three. This could have gone a few different ways, but I went with this based on, okay, the passage of my life, you know, as to where I am and what I've read most and enjoyed and been influenced by. So I am starting at number three with Jane Austen. Oh, she's only number three. Well, because, you know, she's a huge influence. I've read all, a lot of her books, multiple, well, I think I've read them all multiple times and enjoyed also other adaptations of them and, you know, the characters that stay with you. So she's there as number three because I guess she only kind of writes about certain types of things, you know, and so it doesn't kind of get me quite as deeply in, you know, as maybe other writers might. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, I'll go, oh, my number three, I was going to like just make them equal, but let's go with, because this is someone who, and there, there aren't many writers I can say this of, that if they bring out a new book, I will a hundred percent read it. Oh, okay. Um, Leanne Moriarty. Oh yes. If Leanne Moriarty publishes a new book, I'm like, I'm there. Yeah, me too. Get that in my hands. Mm. I need to read that. I love it. I love her. I think she's brilliant. Such joy, just yes. joy. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I love reading her books And sometimes too. anxiety, <laughs> but, but mostly joy. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. They've all been pretty good except for one, but, you know, we know what that one is. Um, yep. Well, I'll go with my number two, and that is Charlotte Bronte. Mm, love Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I don't think that needs explaining, does it? I just no, I think no, I put her higher than Jane Austen because I feel like there's a bit more grittiness, a bit more mm, complexity to the, the characters okay. and, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, oof. Well, number two, I'll go a classic as well then. I'll go George Eliot. Oh. Um, she's another one who I – have I read all of hers now? I think I might have like one left or something that I'm holding on to. Okay. <laughs> um, the first time, the the last time I'll read a George Eliot for the first time. Oh, um, yeah, true. So I Top just think her kind of psychology of her characters is close to unparalleled. Okay. Well, my number one I'm going to go with is Harper Lee. Now, I was a bit horrified recently, well, a bit surprised that a lot of people have a lot of problems with this book, um, <laughs> white saviour complexes and things like this. But I just think To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. That was the other one that people had lots of problems with. Oh, no, I'm talking about To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't read the other one. Oh, you haven't – she's like your favourite writer and you haven't read. Well, as in I was told – well, you told me not to, Natasha. I asked oh, you. I? And you said, no, I maybe don't read it don't. if you really love her stuff. <laughs> it's on my shelf at home and I haven't read it. Mm. Um, but, no, I just think – well, I'm, I'm putting her as number one because I think it is the most perfect book. I just think it's a really go. great book. And I think it's a product of its time and I think in its time it was an amazing book. And now you can't think it's a perfect book if you think it was only an amazing book in its time. No, you I do think it's amazing. No, book I mean, now. no, I think it's an amazing book now. But I guess I just, I just recently saw this criticism on Facebook about white savior complexes and women yeah. who cry wolf and people who kind of see it as a problematic text. But I, I'm mm. like, I just think if you look at it at the basic level of humanity 
caring yeah. about humanity and standing up for someone who needs help. You know, I, I think it's yeah. a great book. Hmm. Um, okay, my number one, um, you can probably guess, it's Marilyn Robinson. And you just showed me a new Marilyn Robinson oh, book yes. that you're about to read. That's right. Her new one is um, Jack. Uh, so Gilead is just, I just think she's the most beautiful writer. Um, I love her prose. I loved Gilead, um, but I also love her essays. I just think her turn of phrase is the best and I love her insights and there's so much grace in her work and, yeah, love her. Well, there you go. You've given me two new ones that I need to read because I haven't read her. Oh! <gasps> Start with Gilead. Okay. All <laughs> right. Well, I've got one more fierce woman to talk about today, Natasha, and um, that is that I've been reading Julia Baird's book, Phosphorescence, on all one. You and, and everyone else except me. Really? I feel like everyone's reading Phosphorescence. I don't know I anyone like else missing who's out. read it. I don't know oh. anyone else who's read it. Um, we move in very different circles. <laughs> well, I don't move in any circles now, Natasha. This is the problem. I'm not really speaking. You mean your kids aren't reading phosphorescence? <laughs> I've just literally work, home, work, home. Um, but, yeah, so, well, Julia Baird is actually my husband's second cousin. Oh, there you go. And I bought the book for my father-in-law because her dad is, is, is my father-in-law's first cousin. I thought, oh, he'd like to read book written by some of the family. And then... I sort of got interested in it myself, basically, from looking at it. For me, it was a good time to read a book like that because I read it, you know, during the height of the pandemic. I guess it, it helps you to try to make better choices about getting through difficult times, about the things yeah, that actually Yeah, it's kind happen. of about resilience, right, and wonder and... Yeah, and, you know, things like reminding you to get out into nature and, and connecting with good friends and, yeah, the things that help. So, look, it's it's a very sort of mixed bag of a book. Like, So it talks about all sorts of different things like her battles with cancer. She talks about her struggles with the Anglican Church over the ordination of women and that issue. So it sort of talked about her experience of Aboriginal spirituality at Gama Festival in Arnhem Land, which my husband was actually at the same one as her and met her again there. So um, talks about her passionate love of ocean swimming, friendship, faith, all sorts of things. It is a real mix. I actually listened to it as an audio book. So it did to me lack kind of a (laughs) clear structure. You know, I couldn't seem to detect a logical structure. You know, like one minute she's talking about life in New York City, the next there's a letter to her daughter, there's a chapter about the way the church teaches, uh, treats LGBTQI people. You know, there's it's sort of a lot of different stuff. I guess it's like her own personal mm. reflections on So life. is it that you, you need to be kind of a fan of her and then you'll love the book? Or? Well, I think anyone who is kind of going, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing as well as I could be in this mm. current situation, you know, could probably benefit from it. Some of the stuff in it is stuff you know, but it's a good reminder. Like not, yeah, yeah that's sort of the obvious stuff people say to you about getting out in nature, connecting with friends, you know, um, looking beyond your own circumstances. It's not rocket science, but it mm. is a really timely reminder, I think. Yeah. Fierce woman. Definitely. Um, I have an idea it's mostly about like jellyfish. <laughs> Is that a a wrong impression? It's got jellyfish on the cover. You know what? (laughs) It's really funny. Um, At the beginning, it does have a lot of science about natural luminescence. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what's the point? Like my mother-in-law, for example, got turned off the book because she, I think, listened to the first chapter and thought it was very sciencey. But it's really not a sciencey book at all. It's basically just like 
there's a bit of research. She talks about how for her things with natural luminescence have always been real objects of wonder and Mm -hmm. she does have a bit of an obsession with ocean swimming that got slightly tedious to me because I'm never going to swim in the ocean. Um, (laughs) But but I think that's kind of where it started with her love of the ocean, seeing luminescent things in the ocean, chasing those kind of experiences. There's a kind of a metaphor, like kind of light in the darkness. Yes, seeking out the light. Um, And the fact that it exists in nature, I guess, is a little bit of a sign that this is how it's meant to be. Yeah. Should I read it? Yeah, I would. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing that you could also read in stages. You could just sort of have it by your bedside and just read a chapter. You don't actually need to read it all at once. It is one of those books where you could just read a chapter three days later, read another chapter. Yeah. All right, well, that's our episode about fierce women. In this episode, we have talked about Rodham, a novel by Curtis Sittenfeld. Also, Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. And I was reading Phosphorescence on all wonder and things that sustain you when the world goes dark by Julia Baird. And thanks for listening to the Hope Book Club because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.